Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And today we're going to be taking a slight detour of our study on what it means to own our faith, a faith that matters. But we're going to take this detour because we want to address an important issue in our culture. And that issue is the sanctity of human life, all human life. So today we're going to be focusing on Psalm 10. And this topic, this title of our study is A Cry for Justice, which is what the psalm is about. Uh, and it connects uh, with our um, sanctity of human life dynamic. The main point of our study is that we are to join God in seeking justice, including justice for the unborn. So uh, looking forward to this conversation. Joining Chris and I for this conversation is Mary Margaret West. Mary Margaret, thank you for taking the time to podcast with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in this conversation today. And all you listeners are probably wondering, why is Mary Margaret West on this podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked because she is one of the writers for our content on this on this important study. Mary Margaret wrote the content that's in the Daily Discipleship Guide, a book that's used predominantly by our young adults. Mary Margaret does uh, live in uh, the Orlando, Florida area. Uh, she's the women's ministry director at her church, The Grove. Mary Margaret, anything special you want to tell us about yourself, uh, your family or your ministry? Sure. Um, I am a wife and a mom of boys. I'm very outnumbered in my household, including our <laughs> dog. And um, and so, but we love living in the Orlando area and getting to do uh, ministry here. Um, I served at Lifeway uh, with you guys for seven years on a different team, but just loved my time there and just loved getting to serve local churches through um, speaking and teaching and encouraging their leaders and um, working with women and teenage girls really is my favorite part of ministry. So I love getting to do that through my local church. That's great. And this was your first time to write for us on the Bible Studies for Life team. But Mary Margaret, you did an exceptionally good job, uh, and especially with a, a an important issue for us, the sanctity of life. So thank you for doing that. We are uh, The point we're looking at today is this call for us to join God in seeking justice, and that includes justice for the unborn children. As Chris noticed, we're going to be in Psalm 10. But before I read the passage, uh, Chris, why don't you just give a little background on what we might know about this psalm? Psalm 10 is um, starts with questions. It's, it's questions that most of us ask at some point in time in our life. It's why the psalmist asked, asked that question. And one of the things I appreciate about the psalms is that uh, the voice of the psalmist Give uh, gives us the opportunity and permission, if you will, to ask some of the qu same questions. Uh, we do, but sometimes we feel like, well, I'm, am I supposed to do this? Can I can I say these things out loud? And the psalmist very clearly, well, God, where are you? Why uh, why do you let these things happen? And he speaks to issues um, around evil and wickedness and. You know, we, we have those issues in our world and we ask the same questions. So uh, God, God can handle our questions. He, he can handle it when we ask those kind of questions. Well, let's look at some of those questions that Chris uh, pointed to. This is Psalm 10. I'm, let me begin reading in verse 1. And then Chris, Mary Margaret, I'm going to turn it back to you. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? 
In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings, the one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there's no God. And here's this picture, this, uh, the psalmist is saying, it looks like the wicked just, well, they pursue injustice and there's no fear of God in their hearts. It's such an interesting thing that David launches immediately into, like you were mentioning, those very big questions, like these very um, feelings oriented, but very directed questions to God to say, where, like, where are you? Where, what has happened? And, um, but I think it gives such a picture too that God is not the one who moves, it's us. And I think some of the distance that David was feeling was not because God had gone anywhere, but because he just felt a distance between the two of them because of what he was seeing around them. That I think you could even look at the New Testament and compare it to when Peter took his eyes off Jesus when they were, uh, when Peter was walking on the water. It's like he had that moment of going, wait, hold on a second, let me look around. And that's when he fell into the water. And we see David kind of taking that step back to go, wait a second, what's going on here? And he questions a God that he trusts so much. Um, But it gives us, like you said, the same permission to ask really hard questions of the Lord. I know we all have those times when we just don't feel like, God, are you there? That kind of, where I feel like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Uh, I, I remember even reading a quote from Billy Graham saying, sometimes he has those moments where he doesn't feel that presence of God. But it doesn't mean he's not there, and it doesn't mean that there's a lack of faith on his, on Graham's part or or on our part. And what, what we see here with the psalmist, too, I think there's a little bit of that, too, of, okay, God, I, I know you're there, but I don't see your hand at work. It's interesting to me the description that the psalmist gives of of the wicked, that they're arrogant, that they have an air of superiority, they're boastful, they're prideful, and then describes the things they do. They take advantage of the weak, of the innocent, people who are um, vulnerable, who don't have a support system. They pursue their victims relentlessly is is the, the picture that we have. And it's it so aligns with so many things that happen in in our world today. Nothing's changed. The wicked <laughs> uh, that we have in our world today are wicked, just like they were at David's time. And uh, I just it's interesting uh, to make that comparison between our culture. What do you guys think about that? That I think that there's nothing, it's that idea that there's nothing new under the sun, that we shouldn't be surprised that we see the same kind of wickedness now that they saw several thousand years ago um, in Old Testament times. Like it, sometimes we want to act so shocked and then we go back and read and we're like, wait just a second. They're, what they experienced is very similar to what we experience today. And Mary Margaret, what catches me, and he uses the word here, it's this word just pops out. It's this arrogance. The wicked person arrogantly thinks. That's a, an attitude of superiority. And when we talk about our culture today, it's that arrogance that just screams at me that comes from them. I mean, when you talk about uh, the abortion issue, uh, you know, there's that side of our society that it's not just they want ab- abortion to be seen as an option. It's like they want to encourage abortion. It's more than an option for them. It's they want people to jump in on this because they think they know best and they're arrogant about it. 
And, and I think that's where when we look at our world today and how politicized everything is and, um, you know, and it just so much of that screams arrogance all the time. And when we look at an issue like abortion, it is so much about not just what is best for me, but what everybody's trying to say, this is what's best for you. This is what you should do. This is what everyone should do. And I think that the, the messaging gets so confusing and, um, and it's, then when it trickles down to just regular everyday people, they get lost in these mixed messages of of people saying, this is the only way to do this. This is the only way women's bodies should be treated. This is, this is if you're going to be a woman, you need to stand up for your rights. And it's, and it's going, but there are multiple ways we can look at this. There's not just one way to look at it. And, and the way we as believers look at it is a very clear picture that God values every single life. And, um, and when I, you know, is having um, kids at home, babies at home, like I, you know, have walked through going to, to ultrasounds. And um, one of my very first ultrasounds with our son, um, I remember the the midwife in the doctor's office looked at me and she, and I think I was eight, eight or nine weeks pregnant at the time, you know, where you can just barely see that they're hear that there's a heartbeat. And she just said, I don't care what anybody else says. That is a baby. That is a baby in there. And it is from the very moment I was like, yes, ma'am, it is. And I think that there is, when you see that for yourself, there's something that changes on the inside for a lot of women to go, oh, hold on. This is, there is more to this. And then when you, as that baby grows, you begin to see arms and legs. And, um, you know, I remember when I had one of those big anatomy scans that they do about halfway through your pregnancy, where, where you're seeing like the brain and you're seeing the heart function, you're seeing knuckles and leg bones and all the things that you're in. It's just like, wow, like at 20 weeks, you can see all of these very specific things. And, and I think that the people who are pro-abortion would, you know, would say, they, they don't want you to talk about that. They don't want you to think about those things and to see those pictures and to see what life looks like in the womb. And, um, and they make it all about the women and it's not at all. It, they take away um, the focus off of the child that is, that is in the mother's womb. And this is the challenge that uh, the psalmist was having here was this arrogance, uh, this view. It was about what they wanted, what they wanted to see that he sensed, asking these questions about God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, the presence of God is the joy of his people, but any suspicion of his absence is distracting beyond measure. And there is a sense for the psalmist here that that he just felt like God was absent in this moment. Now he wasn't. And I think the psalmist deep down knew that, but there's this idea that I think he was so focused on what the wicked were doing uh, that he tended to lose sight of the fact we may not see God's hand at work yet, but God is there. And that's what we always have to guard against too, is making sure that I'm not letting the wickedness around me uh, consume my view that I, I lose sight of the fact God is here. So one of the questions that we ask that I hope will spur conversation and discussion in our groups uh, is to ask the question, where do you see examples of injustice in our culture? So I I think that that is an easy on-ramp for people to uh, begin to think about and apply the scripture to our context, uh, not just to to what David, David had to say. And I would encourage the groups as you talk about that question. It is a great question for discussion. Examples of injustice in our culture. Most people are going to kind of want to start broadly 
talking about the issue that of abortion in America, but draw the conversation closer and closer home. That where are we seeing examples of injustice in our local culture? Uh, to see it's it's right here too, because that may drive us to be, in a sense, that the 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 hands and feet of God to reach in to step in and, and help. Let me take us to verse 12. Uh, we're still in Psalm 10, and I want us to see that he's he's talking about how the the arrogant, these are those who are pursuing injustice, have no fear of God. He's now going to talk about the humble because they look to God for justice. Verse 12. Rise up, Lord God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the harm of the wicked evil person until you look for his wickedness but it can't be found. So David here, as he did in the first part of the psalm, uh, talks about the fact that the wicked has no regard for God, has no fear of God. God, in their minds, doesn't exist. They're not accountable to God. Um, so I think I think that's an important reminder for us in regard to wickedness in our world. When we, when we come to a, a Bible study class from the perspective of we are um, followers of Jesus, uh, we we serve the one and only true God. I don't know that we can always uh, get our head around that there are people, wicked people, uh, who give no thought to God and and do not regard the potential for for judgment uh, at all because it's just not in their uh, in their mind. They don't think about it. Yeah. And, and David had experienced consequences of sin, you know, and he, he knew what it was like to really mess up and to ask for forgiveness in his life. And, and I think because he's, he's, he experiences some of those things and some of them we see very loudly on the pages of scripture, um, you know, his level of compassion is great for those who sin, but he's also calling on God to do what God can do to help rectify the situation. And, and he's saying, you know, I, I know that you care for these people. I know that this is important to you. And so like when he's saying, break the arm of the wicked, evil person until, you know, you know, he is saying, God, do anything possible, do whatever you have to do to take care of this situation. And, um, and he is being, he's making a very compelling plea to the Lord um, to do something and to act because he's at a loss of what to do. And I think sometimes we, we find ourselves at a loss of what to do when we see injustice. And, and so it's, it should be that call to action, a cry for justice, a true movement of our, our hearts and souls towards those who, who are helpless. And, and I think a good thing as a group leader to remember is that there are, there are probably people in your church, maybe in your, in the group that you lead who have walked through some of these injustices themselves, whether or not, you know, that in part of their story, you know, some sort of abandonment, fatherlessness, um, maybe even some women who have walked through abortion themselves, um, you know, stories like that. So as you are preparing and getting ready to teach this lesson, be mindful of the fact that, you know, and, and as, and as you let group, some group discussion happen, be mindful of the fact that there may be some people in your group who have walked through some of these things and, and you're not, you may not be the expert on it, but they are. We see in this passage, God, uh, 
David asking God to intervene on behalf of of the innocent of these victims. And I think that this is probably a good place in our Bible study to time to maybe maybe even just stop and pray uh, for people, uh, the powerless, the people in our in our culture, but like you said, Mary Margaret, people in our room, <laughs> people in our church who who need God's help. So, uh, you know, a call to pray for God to intervene, just like David did, is a is healthy, I think, for us. Mary Margaret, you referred as you talked about the psalm to da- uh, the psalmist, his heart of compassion. You certainly get that when the humble person comes before God seeking Him. Uh, but I think that's something we need to talk about and maybe wrestle a little bit because for those who have a heart of compassion for the unborn or for the victim, those who have no one to stand up for them, their passion, their compassion for those people can become a passion that can sometimes move away from being humble and gracious. In other words, because we so want to stand against the injustice we can come across sounding very arrogant in our fight for justice. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And and I think that that is where some people who are watching that happen tend to throw up their hands and stand back and go, "Well, I don't want to be like that, so I'm not even going to step into this." And um, and it can be it can look offensive towards what somebody is trying to do to honor the Lord, but it ends up dishonoring him in another way because of their attitude about it and the way that they go about it. And and I think that that's where we have to remind ourselves of the call that God has put on each one of our lives. And when he does call us to stand up and do something that we do it in a way that honors him and that our, our language, our posts on Facebook, our, um, you know, just the, the actions that we take are things that would truly honor and bring glory to him um, rather than the attention to ourselves or just to a cause. And, um, and it's too, where we as fellow believers oftentimes need to, um, you know, if the Lord prompts us to have a hard conversation with somebody to be, you know, to say, I know that this is something you're passionate about, but this is how it looks from the outside. You know, and this is how it's coming across. And and I know you love the Lord. I know this is important to you, but I also wanted you to see a clear picture of something you may have a blind spot to, because I think that happens very easily, um, even among believers all the time. As we stand up for what is wrong, in the process of making that known, we also need to make known what is right, what is good. That instead of just pointing out sin, we point to the solution in Christ. We point to the love and the grace of Christ. Um, and, and I see multiple ways that we can do that. You know, people say, well, you're, you're, you're all you're doing is railing against abortion. Well, who's going to take care of these children? Yet there's so many people out there uh, who, who want to adopt, who want to take on uh, for those children that uh, they say, well, they don't have a future. Well, they do because there's people out there who lovingly and willingly want to take them on. I also think as as we rail against abortion, I'm always cognizant of those women who have already gone down that road and are silently dealing with the guilt in their lives. Maybe they've given their life to Christ uh, afterwards, uh, and they go to church and they hear us in a Bible study like this, talking about the sin, the injustice, and the arrogance behind all that, and they're sitting and going, yeah, I'm one of those people. 
I want to stress the grace of God that you no know, God is not for these things, but it's just as God is for the unborn child. He is also for that woman or that man who's encouraged this to say, yes, there is hope. There is forgiveness. There is grace for you as well. Absolutely. And, and I've watched over the last year or so, my dad, um, who was a retired pastor, um, you know, you never retire from ministry. And um, he is, he serves once a week at one of our local Christian pregnancy centers. And, um, you know, when he told me he was doing that at first, I'm like, why are you doing that? And he said, I'm talking to the dads. And, and so he, on a weekly basis, sits down with the dads and has conversations with them and, you know, and has been able to, to lead several of them um, to, to a relationship with Christ and um, just been able to talk through what's happening in their lives. And, and, I, and they obviously have counseling for the women as well, but it's just been a, a really unique ministry opportunity um, to come alongside and bring support, um, you know, to these moms and dads who are walking through tough decisions and, um, you know, a lot of judgment from family members, a lot of people telling them what to do, um, you know, but, but of going, okay, let's look at scripture. Let's look at God. Let's look at this baby and, and think about the situation holistically and, um, and really treat them as a family unit and, and try to help them understand how God sees the family. And, and I think it just, there are so many opportunities to care for women, um, both before um, and after pregnancy, but two before and after an abortion takes place. And even um, Lifeway, a number of years ago, published a Bible study called Surrendering the Secret um, that was redone a few years ago. It's a great study for women to walk through um, post-abortion and, um, you know, just really finding a community of women who have, who can say, I've been there too. You know, I understand what you're walking through because I can't look at a woman and say that, you know, but there are women who really um, have a heart to minister to other women because, because they've been there, um, but they've seen the redemptive um, power of Christ and his forgiveness and, um, and just have a completely different view on things now than they did um, however many years ago. And so I think we have to create and find those opportunities to say, Hey, we see you and we don't see you as any less of a person because of, you know, a sin that took place, you know, a tragedy that took place a long time ago, but we want to come alongside you and, um, and give you the support that you, you still may need today. And, um, and that, that there is without a doubt, there are women in your church who that is their story, whether you know it or not. And so figuring out ways to help connect them, um, to one another, if you're able to, um, I think is a huge blessing, but to come alongside those women, um, after, after an abortion, I think is huge, um, to show the love of Christ that way. Cause it's, it's not easy. And Mary Margaret, this was years ago. I had a deacon at our church call me one night, invited me over. So I came and talked with him and he shared that in college, his girlfriend got pregnant and he He's the one who pushed her to get an abortion. And he, years, years later, was silently dealing with that guilt. And so I realized yeah. there's men that kind of go down that road, too, because of the, the role they played. They need to know about the love and grace of God, the forgiveness that's available to them as well. Absolutely. There are all sorts of ways that we can work for justice for those who, uh, the victims, uh, the unborn, those who can't they can't speak for themselves, but let's remember this too. Even as we work, there is a time coming. God will overthrow mm -hmm. all injustice. Let me take us to verse 16 of Psalm 10. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. 
You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. There is a day coming when all justices will be set right. And I love David. It's how... he is the psalmist is taking it's it's like you look at this psalm holistically and you see this polar opposite thing happening from the very beginning to the very end of psalm 10 and and you just see that he is so confident in god he 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 is allowed to ask these questions but he is saying you know you are king forever and ever you know he you know you have heard our cries you've heard our desires you've strengthened our hearts you're listening he is saying i know that this is who you are and i think he is he is advocating in this Psalm for, um, for his people, you know, for those who, who had need of God, um, you know, he was able to, to show them what it looked like, um, to cry out to God, but to, to also recognize who God is. And, um, it's, that was, it was a, this Psalm just, there's a lot of boldness in it and a lot of, um, just interest. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys felt that same way looking at this song, but it just was one, It just the way that it moves. It's kind of crazy. I appreciated what you had to say in, in our podcast and in, and with, with what you wrote as well, uh, pointing out that polar opposite, uh, David at first, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything to, Oh, I know that, you know, and I know that you see in here and that you are for, to the to this point this polar opposite of where are you god to god you will uh you'll make all of this right and we'll trust you and count on you to do that uh you did a great job of helping us to see that and we have been talking a lot about the rights uh, protecting the, the the unborn children but let's keep in mind too when we talk about the sanctity of human life we're talking about all sorts of issues of all uh, the people in different walks of lives different stages that are can't speak up for themselves we can think about uh, certainly the elderly those who are uh disabled in some form or fashion um the one that came to my uh, really came to my forefront for me in recent months was the movie that came out last year called the sound of freedom. Uh, I know Chris, you've seen that uh, incredible movie about the trafficking of children. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a somber, somber movie, uh, but it's uh, based on a true story. Uh, but it really caught my attention that there are these other areas. There is injustices taking place uh, and we pray for God to work, God to intervene. But as pray those things, realize God often wants to use us in that intervention. That made me think of something, um, a quote I saw a long time ago, and I'm, I believe it's C.S. Lewis, but if if not, Google can help you find who wrote this this um, this quote. But I believe it's C.S. Lewis, um, and I heard it. It was put into a song. Um, but this idea that now that I have seen, I am responsible. Um, that when we see injustice happening, we as believers can no longer take a blind eye, turn a blind eye to um, to what's going on. And um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to serve as a summer missionary um, uh, in Russia, of all places. Um, working with orphans and doing orphan care over the summer. And and it was one of those things that just, you know, as a 18, 19 year old, just got my attention. And that, that made me realize that 
there are kids, you know, here in the United States, there are kids around the world who don't have families, who don't have an adult to speak up for them. And as an adult, I've watched how friends have jumped in to do foster care, to adopt, um, to be like a court-appointed sponsor, um, you know, for children and to do all different kinds of things. And I think it's looking at those situations and saying, God, is my call to give? Is my call to pray? Um, is my call to, to financially support? You know, is it to, to take action and do something? Um, but to, to not just go, oh, that's a good story. Oh, wow. That was really great. Like it's so great for them, but not take any responsibility for ourselves. And, um, and I got, I remember getting a, an adoption fundraiser or what I thought was an adoption fundraiser letter from a college friend a few years ago. And, um, it ended up, she just said at the end, she said, we're not asking for your money. We just really are asking for your prayers. Would you pray for us in these specific ways? And, um, and it just was one that really got my attention because I'm like, I can do that. And I can, I can pray with you along side of you. They ended up adopting a sibling group of five kids and, um, and not just watching what the Lord has done in their lives, um, was huge, but they were willing, they were ready. And they just said, will y'all come alongside of us as believers and pray with us. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And I think that since going on that mission trip in college, the Lord has given me opportunities to give, to pray, to support, to take meals, all of those kind of things. And we just have to, on a regular basis, say, Lord, what is my job? What do you want me to do? Because it's not to do nothing and um, it's to do something, but it looks different for a, for every single one of us. So in our uh, personal study guide, we have a couple of questions that align with that to cause people, mm -hmm. uh, we hope, to have some conversation and discussion about this. One of those is how can, how can we practically join God in pursuing justice for those who can't stand up for themselves? So how can we become a part of the solution? Uh, the other question that uh, may be interesting for your group is what can our group or what can our church do in seeking justice? So that it's not just, oh, we had a nice lesson today, like what you just said, Mary Margaret, but it's, okay, so now that I'm aware of these things, my eyes have been opened. How can I join God and be an active part in seeking justice for uh, those who need it most. And it may be a call for you to adopt five children. There you go. But there's always, it may not be, <laughs> but there's always something we can all can do. Mary Margaret West, thank you for joining us for this conversation on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we are glad that all of you joined us for this podcast. And we hope that as you get into this as a group and talk about this, that is a rich, vibrant conversation but in the end, you talk about, okay, this is great. We've talked about Psalm 10. How does God want us as individuals and as a group to live this out? Have a great conversation. We'll see you next week.